This is Mom Goals. With world-class professional soccer player, Allie Long. My guest for today's show is Allison Desir. She's a host, athlete, activist, therapist, and mom. Allison hosts the Seattle public television program Out and Back with Allison Mariella Desir and is the author of the new book, Running While Black, Finding Freedom in a Sport That Wasn't Built for Us. This is Allison Desir. I'm excited, so thank you so much. Yeah. Um, What initially got you into athletics? You know, I, growing up, I was really active. My parents made an effort to put my brother and me in every kind of activity. So (laughs) I was in intramural soccer. I was in gymnastics. I was like beating kids on the playground (laughs) during recess. And I just loved running. Um, First of all, I was fast. So that was like the validation that I needed. (laughs) I mean, I'm no longer fast. I'm still trying to be fast. (laughs) (laughs) But so that was a thrill. And then just being connected in my body, right? Like knowing that I could tell my body to do things and my body would respond was so exciting. But I didn't get into long distance running until 2012. Um, After going through a period of depression, I found long distance running and it changed and saved my life. So running has always, movement has always played a big role in my life. um, But long distance running more the past 10 years. That's unbelievable. I feel like, you know, as a soccer player, you run kind of like a lot in a game. But when I go just go out for like, I'm like, okay, I run like seven, eight miles in a game. I'm going to train and run for seven, eight miles. Just whatever. I could do it. I literally, I'm like, why am I doing this at like mile five? I'm like, this. I just like, it's, it's so hard. So like, I think that's amazing. I think connecting with your body in the sense of like you see the response over time because I think it's really frustrating Mm. when you're trying to run and then it's like painful and it sucks and Mm. then you might you don't see that response initially Mm -hmm. okay so that's amazing um what put you on the path to being activist I think my whole life I've sort of had it in me to be the person who says the thing or does the thing that needs to be said I actually remember in middle school there was a time when um, the only the boys were allowed to wrestle during gym class and what? the girls had to do some other activity. And I remember me and a few other girls demanded that girls be allowed to wrestle, not because I wanted to wrestle, but, but I wanted, wanted the, the opportunity. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I remember. So that was always a part of who I was. But um, it really was after running and finding how much it was changing my life and um, how important it was to me and just realizing that there were not a lot of Black people in the sport and getting curious about why that was and then wanting to create more opportunities for us. So a very personal kind of realization um, led me to want to take action and do something about it. And the more I got comfortable with my voice and taking risks and drawing attention to things that I thought were unfair, the not the easier it got, but the more used to it I got. So at this point, I definitely embrace the title of activist. It was just like natural in you to just do that. I think it's really difficult for some people to kind of feel like, can I say this or should I, or or do I have this right or in any way, but you just seem like a natural in that way. Exactly. That's amazing. Yeah, in my case, it, it was natural, but I do th- I do think that, you know, even for folks who 
it's scary. I mean, it's not that it's not scary for me, right? It's, I know that there are consequences. I know that there are risks involved, but sticking to what I know is also important and what, you know, what, what matters to me sort of guides me. So that's just for people who may be scared. Like, don't think I'm not scared. You can do this too. (laughs) I love that. Um, What barriers do you see when it comes to people of color and outdoor sports just in general? Yeah, I mean, there there are several. There's everything from access to the outdoors, right? When you think about um, a lot of the, first of all, the way that we talk about the outdoors, really the outdoors is just outside of your house, right? right. But, but for many people, when they think of the outdoors, they think about like scaling mountains or um, going on epic adventures. And so just the idea of the outdoors itself can be an obstacle for some, right? Thinking, mm-hmm. oh, I I can't do those things, therefore I'm not in the outdoors, uh, but beyond that, there's, you know, a history of access to the outdoors being um, segregated, right? National parks at one point mm. were segregated. There's also the fear of what can happen when you're in the outdoors. Historically and presently, we know that when black and brown folks are on the trail or in areas that they may be unfamiliar with, bad things can happen. And then there's other things like what are right. the um, what are the the resources for the particular activity. So I think a lot now that I'm in the Pacific Northwest about skiing, but I'm like, wow, the equipment for skiing is so expensive, right? So So there could be financial barriers. Also getting to a mountain to ski often enough. You know, I don't live close enough to a mountain. So all of these, their access, access to the outdoors, financial resources, and then a fear of, a very real fear of what can happen when, when black and brown people are in the outdoors or some of the obstacles. Wow, that's, I mean, some things I didn't even actually think about. And I think that it's really important to understand that and hear that. And like, I love that you kind of are behind this in a way and just kind of giving understanding to other people about it. Um, mm. I think it's important that knowledge is the most important thing. Like if you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And I think it's just really important for exactly. everyone to hear. And so you started the Harlem run. Um, what inspired the, to start the Harlem run? I started Harlem run after I ran my first marathon. And uh, so I ran my first marathon in June of 2012. Wow. And I wanted, you know, it, it like I said, it saved my life. I was very depressed before I started training. I was overdosing on medication, mostly because I just wanted to like sleep for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so running made me once again connected to my body. It made me excited about getting up in the morning. And I wanted to share that experience with more people. So I was living in Harlem and I decided I'm going to start a club here for people like me. And it was unique because there at the time there weren't a lot of groups for black people, black runners. Mm-hmm. And also most groups were very focused on speed and distance. And mine was a group that would allow people to show up and walk if they wanted to, to run walk. And where the run was part of what we were doing, but really it was about building community and uh, creating an opportunity for people to be vulnerable. So I started that 10 years ago, and that was sort of wow. my first my first foray into community building and, and activism, really. That's so amazing. I'm from New York, and so oh, I, yeah. yeah, so I just, yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, it brings me also back to the question about, like, the outdoors. It is, like, you think about, you know, New York, I've lived in New York City, I've lived on Long Island, I've 
like bounce around Brooklyn. And I think that, yeah, like who wants to run on the, like, <laughs> like who, like when I, when I think about just like, yeah, who wants to run outside? Actually, there's a really funny story. <laughs> I was running outside in New York City and I had, uh, I was listening to 50 Cent Many Men. And I'm actually going from mm. like Manhattan in to, um, I was running up, all, like up. I was going from like 100th to like 120th. Yeah, yeah, then that's where Harlem is, yep. Yeah, so I was running up there and like I literally 50 cent many men come on in the shots in the beginning of the of the do you know the the gunshots that just go off in the middle of the beginning oh, of the gosh. song? I literally thought I was getting I was like ducking around and I was like, "Oh my god, this is yeah, it was so embarrassing." But I'm just saying it's like and there's so much traffic, there's people everywhere. It's like insane and I could see that being intimidating for like anyone and I need to run for my sport to get fit for it. Right. <laughs> so anyways. Okay, so you had a difficult birth story. Can you kind of touch mm. on that subject? Yeah, I um First of all, like being pregnant, I thought that I was going to be one of those pregnant people who is going to love to run and just have those awesome Instagram posts with the (laughs) belly, you know, and it was not that very quickly. I learned that um, anytime I did, anytime I ran like more than a mile, I would start to bleed and doctors didn't know whether I was miscarrying or whether it was something else. And I went to the emergency room three or four times and every time it wasn't me miscarrying but finally they just said listen you got to stop running yeah (laughs) so I was not one of those cute pregnant people but um then you know at 36 weeks pregnant I remember going to the doctor and um they couldn't my blood pressure just kept shooting up and up right and they several times they took my blood pressure and they would tell me you know sit down take deep breaths but it became clear that I had preeclampsia and that my blood pressure was so dangerously high that they needed to deliver that day. So, you know, all of us or many of us put time or spend all this time putting together like a birth plan and what do we want it to look like and who's going to be in the room with us, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden my birth plan was like out the window, you're giving birth today. Mm. So I went, I remember going to the hospital and my blood pressure was 200 over something, just very high. Mm-hmm. And, um, getting an emergency C-section scheduled. And in my mind, not only is an emergency C-section just dangerous, but thinking about the disproportionate um, deaths, um, maternal death rates for Black women, right? Like Black Mm -hmm. women die um, during pregnancy at rates multiple times higher than white women. So thinking about not only is this going to be a dangerous operation, period, but the fact that I'm Black, could that lead to me dying in the process or dying after? So I had a lot of anxiety around my birth and even getting home and suffering from postpartum depression and anxiety. This whole experience that I thought was going to be the best experience of my life was traumatic and terrifying. First of all, I can totally relate because I viewed pregnancy. I was like, I'm going to love being pregnant. My (laughs) body, my body's creating a human. And then literally like, I would say like 20 weeks in, I'm like, oh my God, like I, I couldn't work out. And then I couldn't, 
I felt terrible. I couldn't do anything. And then my blood pressure as well would go up. I would literally oh. go into the, um, I would go into the doctor's office. It's so funny. They probably did this to you too, where you take your blood pressure right when you walk in. They're like, ooh, let's do it when you leave. Maybe you'll be a little more <laughs> yeah. relaxed. And I'm like, every single time. And I'm literally like, it's not going to change. And then every day, like, ooh, it's still high. I was like, yep, still high. And then the next week I go in, okay, well, let's do it again. And then I'm like, listen, it's just, it's high. Let's just... <laughs> Call it what it is. Like, like, and I did not, I didn't, um, I wasn't preeclampsia, but I was right on the borderline, but it was something Mm. that I I had twins and, um, and the same thing that happened to you, you, I went in for a routine checkup on a Monday and they're like, Mm. you're giving birth actually right now, like right now. And I'm like, what do you mean? I've been here for three hours. Can I get like a sandwich? Can I like go feed my (laughs) dog? I don't have a hospital bag. I was so hungry. And they're like, now you can't eat. (laughs) Now you can't eat. I was like, I am going to eat something. I am not going into this. Like, um, but I remember, and that immediate feeling, because in my mind, I was like, I'm going to go 40 weeks with twins. It's going to be unreal. Mm. I can do this. And all of a sudden it was just like, whoa. And then all of a sudden that anxiety is like, oh my God, I didn't mm. even consider a, Like I knew those C-section was a potential because of twins, but like then that feeling of like, whoa. Mm. And so like, and I guess like, uh, you know, listening to you, you speak before this, like the media does portray, you know, this birth as this beautiful thing and Mm. um i just wanted to kind of like ask you your opinion on like how the media could do better or what should moms expecting actually you know where in the media are they talking about like the reality of of it yeah yeah you know i think what's what's problematic is exactly what you're saying that the media whether it's traditional media or social media really highlights the stories of people who are having amazing pregnancies, who seem to have everything figured out, who have flawless births, who snap back. And that, (laughs) and that is, that's the reality for some people, but for the majority of us, it isn't right. So I think it's, what's important is now, now having had one child and wanting another one, now I have a better understanding of what the possibilities Mm. are, right? Like, yes, maybe my birth can go exactly according to plan, and that would be refreshing. But now I also know that there are, um, that not everybody likes pregnancy. That pregnancy for me was just terrible, right? I felt sick. <laughs> yeah. I felt yeah. like there was an alien in my body. <laughs> I couldn't do the things that I loved. Yeah. And it's important that, you know, that people see all the sides to pregnancy so that you can be better prepared, right? Just like anything else, you you don't right. want to see the best possible scenario and base your life plan on the best possible scenario. You need to know that things happen in life. Things also happen in pregnancy. And, you know, a a piece of that, I think, is we focus a lot on the birth plan. But I think focusing on the afterbirth plan is equally, if not more important. Right. Like who's going to who's going to be cooking meals for you? Who's going to support you if you're struggling with postpartum depression, anxiety? Who's going to help you deal emotionally with the fact that you know, the body that you once had is completely gone, right? Like, mm-hmm. even if you quote unquote snack back, like everything's in a different place, <laughs> right? Yeah. So there's there's so much that needs to be done um, to take care of people after giving birth. What advice would you give to expecting moms that kind of want to prepare for that, maybe not the most beautiful pregnancy, or that just want to be prepared for both. Like I could go, yeah. it could be great or it could be terrible. Like what advice would you give it? I think what it is is to let go. My advice would be to let go of your expectations 
Expectations mm. always set us up for disappointment, right? Even if True. even if you do have an amazing pregnancy, but it somehow didn't live up to what you had in your head, right? I would say read as much material as you can about pregnancy and childbirth. Try to follow people on social media and follow stories of a range of different outcomes. That way you know, oh, this happened to me. It doesn't mean that you failed, right? Like right. it just means that you had a different experience. So I would say let go of expectations. And one thing that really grinds my gears, <laughs> I, I it bothers me so much when I see people post like natural birth, right? Mm. As if a vaginal birth is the only natural birth. All true. births are natural. Are natural. Yeah, <laughs> so true. adopt the language of a vaginal birth or a medically assisted birth, right? But every, no matter how a true. baby comes out of you, it is a natural experience. And just try to let go of the expectations and, and be present in each moment. You bring up such a good point. And I think that it's weird because I had a C-section as well. And then mm. both babies had to go to the NICU. Mm. And it, it just because the word natural, I didn't naturally, te- like what society calls natural, um, it, it felt like, yeah, I, I felt like I... I said, yeah, I I felt like, yeah, I failed, but I also was like, I want to, maybe it's like just the athlete. I'm so competitive where I was like, I just, Mm. I want to do that. Like, I want to have another one. I mean, like they just came Mm -hmm. out and I'm like, I want to have another one just to experience that naturally, you know? And it's like, you know, and then, I mean, after a couple months later, I'm like, I like, fuck that. Like it is natural. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like I, it's so true. And I think the mental part is a big part of, um, so much of the, the pregnancy side. And Mm. I think a lot of things or a lot of resources are talk about postpartum depression. And I think that, but there's not enough that talk about like the in-between of like just the mental side of like, Mm. you know, you could lean, you could be on the borderline going in that direction, but are you right here? And like, kind of like, how do we mm. sort these feelings? So, you know, you stay grounded in a way. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think I felt a lot of feelings of that side. And then especially the NICU, I think that's one of the hardest mm. things ever that I didn't, I never in a million years expected that the babies would go to the NICU, even though mm. maybe that's because I was like 200 pounds to over 200 pounds at, 36 weeks I'm like these are big babies I got Mm. this you know Mm. they're healthy they're fine um and so and it's the weirdest feeling you basically deliver and then they're like they're gone you feel like you didn't actually I'm like where are my babies like I didn't even you know and I think that that's never spoken about and I don't know how to change that but can you talk about like that a little bit yeah I I felt the same way so I felt for me I felt really guilty that I had an emergency c-section and that I hadn't had the opportunity to give a quote unquote natural birth, right? That's part of why I'm so intent on changing that language because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like you giving birth, like I said, is natural. And and what doctors are doing is they're trying to give you the best chances for a good outcome, right? right. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you have the baby. And I remember holding, the, holding my son for like five seconds and I was so high that I didn't yeah. even <laughs> remember. I didn't even feel him. And Same. then they took him away and I, it wasn't until like 12 or 16 hours later until they finally got the, um, the video, the video up. So I couldn't even, I didn't even, it's like, it didn't happen. Right. Right. And for me, that was so disempowering because I had seen those videos where, you know, they put the baby on your chest and, and then they crawl. Yeah. yeah. And they crawl and they find in your breasts and they breastfeed for the first time. And all of these moments that you're supposed to have with pictures with your family, I felt robbed of. Same. And yeah, I don't I don't think there's enough conversation around what that experience feels like. 
um, normalizing those feelings, right? Like, yes, it's, of course, you're going to feel, um, they're going to feel badly. <laughs> the, the, you just spent nine months or how many months yeah. taking care of this person, and then suddenly you're disconnected from them. And I think a really big resource um, is having mental health professionals in hospitals, right? In That'd addition to a, a yeah. doula or a midwife, if you're able, but having somebody who helps you um, just provides a space for you to talk about those things because your partner is also in a state of chaos, right? Like right. My, my husband also <laughs> was, well, he was watching the, the little NICU. Oh he was just gosh. there yeah. as many hours as he could because he knew that I couldn't be there. So right. there needs to be a third person who can help you make sense of it, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's so funny you say that you were high. You don't even remember it. Like I was still so high the next morning. I didn't even trust myself to hold because I was like, in a, they're wheeling me in a wheelchair, and I'm like, I don't know what it was. It was like the they gave me like this magnesium, and I think that yes, like, the magnesium. I, I like told yes. them to rip it out of my arm, like after, because I couldn't even. I didn't even. They, I mean, they had wires all over them. Like I had a baby that was born five pounds, oh my gosh. and then the other one was three pounds three ounces. <gasps> so they were so little. I was oh. like too hot. I was literally like too altered. I was like, I cannot. Yeah. I don't even trust myself. So and then I think it's the weirdest thing, kind of like going home. I don't know if you had to go home mm. without them. Like you go home and it's like, wait a second, I'm home, <sighs> but like there's no baby. You yeah. know, with me, it's like a weird feeling. So yeah. I think that you're right. Like I think that'd be really cool for all hospitals to to have that just to be able to have someone to like kind of to talk about um yeah just if you need to or not because I think you know same mm -hmm. with you know like my partner it's just it's crazy chaotic for him he's feeling all these emotions he's trying to be the best support system but then also worried about exactly. the babies and I, I think the you know the men or women whoever your partner is I don't think it gets enough uh attention as well as as mm -hmm. much as like we are you know going through it um they are too as well um mm -hmm. like how's your husband been how's he been as like a support mm -hmm. system obviously he's probably yeah. been amazing but like how's he how's he doing and how was it for him at least his perspective yeah you know I, th I think the, your point is is really well taken right that my my husband didn't want to seem like a burden to me mm -hmm. because I'm the one who birthed the child. And mm -hmm. at any opportunity, any chance he even hinted at trying to take up some attention, I reminded him, hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, They just cut me in half, right? But, but that's, 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 that's hard too, right? Because yeah. yes, it didn't happen to his physical body, but he was with me. He helped create this baby. He's also worried about me and the baby. And so I think, it, I think it was really hard for my husband. And then after we get home to see him, for him to see me struggling so much with, you know, depression and anxiety. And the way that it manifested for me was that I didn't want anybody else to touch the baby. Like, even mm -hmm. if I was like exhausted, couldn't change a diaper, I just refused to let anybody help. So then he felt even more helpless, right? Because right. he's like, how do I help my wife understand that she's not at her best and she should not be doing this, right? So <laughs> right. I think it was really difficult for him. And I know that he he has his own network of support and friends who he was able to talk to about this. But for many partners, for many men, that's not the case. Right. I just think, you know, the whole the whole pregnancy system needs to be revisited, thinking about us more as human beings. <laughs> like it right. has been yeah. it's, it's such a like medical field and it's about procedures and you know. But we're human beings who are going mm -hmm. through traumatic, even if you have the best pregnancy, there's some trauma involved. Right. And so I think, you know, rethinking the, the system um, in a way that's compassionate, that is um, 
about empathy and really taking care of people is important. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of women, you know, they want to do it all. I know I do. And I think mm. postpartum depression, when you when you touch on that, um, what advice do you have for women that are, you know, feeling that way or, or feeling mm. kind of similar to you or you had that anxiety, you mm-hmm. didn't want anyone to help, um, you know, you're exhausted and, and your husband's trying to help, but what advice would you give to, to women feeling that way or, you know? Yeah, there, there's a really great resource um, on Instagram. I think it's the Postpartum Stress Center. And there's a book called Dropping the Baby and Other Scary Thoughts. And I found this book because I literally was afraid of dropping the baby. And every time I picked him up, yeah, every time I picked him up, I imagine not only him falling on the floor, but his head smashing to a million, right? Like these really Mm. um, vivid images came to mind. So I just Googled like dropping the baby and thank God this book came up. And um, this woman, I've actually had the opportunity to interview her, but I forgot her name. Uh, (laughs) she's, She's dedicated her life to talking about postpartum stress, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, baby blues, right? There's different gradients of of what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Or whatever you're feeling is okay, right? So right. I encourage people to look, you know, women and other childbearing people to look into these resources because it was really helpful for me to realize, wow, just having the thought that I'm going to hurt my child doesn't mean I'm actually going to do it, right? right? The thought is scary enough that I'm going to do something bad, but, you know, then you start wondering, am I really capable of this? Like, will I go to prison? But like your mind just spirals, right? <laughs> but knowing that having intrusive thoughts is something that happens sort of takes away the power of the thought. Then you can just say, all right, there's that thought again. Like, I'm just going to let yeah. it go. I'm not going to harm my child. It's normal to have this thought and you move on. Right. So, you know, and those are the kinds of resources that I, like I said, I think should be available in the hospital. Like everybody should go home with a pamphlet that talks about the possibilities of PPD, PPA, baby blues, and right. that helps you figure out how you work through them. It's more than just, I remember they, they do some kind of survey at your like six week checkup that asks you questions, mm-hmm. but that's not enough, right? right. Like there needs to be more, more resources. Right. And I think also like being prepared for those thoughts would help you versus like once you have them now, what, you know, cause you're exactly. already deep into it. Like, how do I, you know, let them come? Cause I can remember, you know, uh, before the babies actually came home, I'm like thinking about like, okay, is this the nursery good? Like I want to make it like, cause I'm like a little clumsy. So I would mm. probably Google more like tripping the tripping while holding a baby <laughs> you know like because that would be more like what uh, that's what I would kept thinking like I'm like is it good like I don't want to be exhausted and then trip and fall like something like yep. that you know where I felt like I was mm-hmm. gonna like do that in a way um thankfully I've I haven't I've bumped into some things but um I haven't tripped but I think like <laughs> just being prepared for those thoughts is really important yeah and, you know like having women feel prepared to what you could think about. And, and, exactly. and so I'm going to look up your girl that you, you interviewed. Yeah. Cause, um, cause yeah, I just, you know, for just to help anyone else that are going through it and yeah, feel you, that way. It, so her name is Karen Kleiman. Nice. And yeah. And dropping the baby and other scary thoughts. Just, that's just one of the books. And then right. she has this amazing Instagram with resources. And what I love about the Instagram is that, A lot of what she posts are, for example, two people, like a a woman and her um, mother and her partner. And 
um, you know, there's a caption that says like, how are you doing today? The husband asks the woman, how are you doing today? And the woman says, I'm fine. But then there's this other bubble that says, I'm actually not fine. I feel terrible. Like I didn't sleep. <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, blah. Right. right. And like so it's sort of, yeah. exactly. And so it gets at the fact that oftentimes we don't know how to communicate. We're thinking all these other things. And so it's a reminder to check in with your partner, right? Like, are you really good? Yeah. What can I do to help? Or rather than ask, what can I do to help? Recognize something that would be helpful and just do it. Right. Yeah. Like that, w- that was, was so important to me when, after coming home and when friends wanted to visit me, I'm like, I don't need you to hold the baby as much as I need you to do my laundry, right. <laughs> do my dishes, right? Yeah. Like, and just True. offering rather than ask me, I don't know what I need, right. but what can you provide that can be helpful for me? Right. I know there's so many times where he's like, are you tired? I'm like, obviously I'm fucking tired. <laughs> is that, like, is obviously that <laughs> we have twins. Are you tired? I wouldn't ask you that. You know what I right. mean? Like, I know you're tired. I know we're both tired. <laughs> Come on. Exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. But yeah, like a lot of times I would be like, yeah, no, I'm fine. Like, yeah, I'm tired, but I'm good. I'm good. You right. Know, but you're like, not, you're not good. And, and yeah, somebody, you're not, if somebody sends you, you know, dinner for the next six weeks, you're not going to say no. You're going to say, right. thank God. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So funny. Okay, so post post baby, um, getting back into shape and running and getting back to yeah. what you love. When did that happen for you? You know, it is a process. It like ebbs and flows. So mm-hmm. I initially thought that within six weeks, I, I was going to go to my checkup and I was going to get right Cleared. back on it. I can run. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm, good. I'm back, baby. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it was not that. First of all, I actually had lost the desire to run the way that I had previously because mm-hmm. for nine months, essentially I hadn't been running and my body was really heavy and different. So, um, and also just because you're cleared by the doctor, like my stitches were still hurting and I yeah. still felt like the, the pulling. nerves reconnecting yeah. and the pulling. So, um, you know, that first year I struggled a lot with comparing where I thought I should be with where I was. Mm. And I was never a professional athlete, but I have, uh, friends who are Olympians. So looking at people like Alicia Montano and Lauren Fleshman, people who are Olympian mothers who got back to it was actually really hard for me. Like mm-hmm. I needed examples out there of of people who didn't get back to it right away right. and who were really struggling. So I would say that um, the yeah the first year was a lot of struggle. Uh, the second year I I found my love again for running, and I realized that I could not compare myself to who I was before having the baby. Like that just wasn't going to be my story. So I needed to rediscover running and movement in this body. And it came to be more of a space for me to also just be by myself with my own thoughts. Like when you have a child running around, it's chaos all the time. So running provided a space for me to actually um, think about myself (laughs) to get, to get away from the to-do list and like what I needed to buy or what I needed to do and, and sort of reconnect with myself. And this year I'm finally, um, you know, for 2023, I'm signed up for several races that I'm excited to run. Let's go. um, I know. And I feel like, you know, if there's anybody listening, it's taken me three years to really feel like I can kick butt again and that's okay. Some people, yeah. it might be that six weeks. Some people, it might be 10 years. Who knows? Um, but it's all in your own time. That's amazing. Yeah, I feel, I guess I, I totally relate. I can, you know, I've, I'm coming back into my 
professional season coming in February and I have this wow. pr- this pressure on me that I want to be the I want to be better than I was before mm. I had babies, you know, like I want to come back and be like, wow, she's back. She had twins and, she, you know, mm. and so um, but I also come back to reality and I'm like, hold up, like trust your body and like just trust this yeah. process and take your time. Like it doesn't matter if you're ready and if I'm the best in February, like, you know, yeah. I love this game and enjoy it in a way. I can only imagine, though, the pressure that you feel because, again, because there's so many of these very public stories of people coming back better than they were. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that is amazing for whoever that works for. But that's not every person's story. But if you're a professional elite athlete and you're seeing that, it's like, oh, my gosh, if I'm not that. Yeah. Right. So I just I think it's. There, I'm, um, I'm rooting for you. But whatever your Thank story you. <laughs> is, I, I hope, I hope that it's, it gets the attention it deserves, right? Like right. if it's a story of coming back better than before, awesome. If it's a story of, of not that, also awesome, because right. that lets people know there are many ways, um, to exist postpartum. Right, and I think, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm curious to see. I think you know, as I'm going through like my training right now, um, I feel really good. Do I feel where I? would have been pre-baby in an off season no mm. but i feel like you know I'm, I'm like i take it pretty much day by day like how does my mm. body feel i check in with how i feel and you know i see what my plan of my workout is from you know my strength and conditioning coach and um you know how do i feel can i do all of it should you know mm. like just in like my body wise like i would normally check every box and you know mm. be done and and i've actually been i talked to him and he was great and i think you know, the people that are also not in charge of you, like um, your boss or your whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. whoever, you know, you're working for with, um, you know, they're important as well. And I think he's kind of given me that space to be like, he's like, do you in a way? And like, mm. I trust you'll be good. And I think that's really important for, you know, organizations or whoever you're working for mm. to kind of as well, kind of like be aware of, you mm. know, what's going on and, and, and their knowledge of the situation as well should, I think anyone, you know, that has an employee or someone mm, that mm-hmm. um, is coming back, they need to have that grace for them in a way as well. And I don't think totally. a lot of people don't even know or, or maybe don't even care. You know, it's like, this is my job. It's so cutthroat. So yeah, I think that's important as well. Yeah. And think about how you're making those adjustments. If you weren't to make those adjustments, you would be hampering your progress, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which is actually really empowering to know, wow, I know my body so well that I'm going to do the thing that's going to enable it to get stronger the way that it needs. Right. And maybe like back in the day, that was checking every single box. But now it's like, no, yeah. <laughs> that just doesn't I'm tired work. today. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> I slept four hours. Um, question, what is your motivation while you're running now? Has it changed at all after birth? Yeah, I think I think my motivation now is at least as I'm looking at 2023, I, I want to see, um, I want to, I want to enjoy the process and see how far I can go. Now, how far I can go, not meaning distance, but like how, um, can push I, yeah, exactly how far I can push my body. Amazing. And I want to do it in a way that, like I said, feels good, right? Not like I'm not trying to achieve any standard that anybody else's standard. I'm not trying to be what I was before. I'm just curious. And I th- I think that curiosity is really exciting because I don't know what to expect. Right. I don't know what 
how well I'll do, quote unquote. I'm just excited about what that process is going to look like and feel like. And that to me is a really good place to be because um, I don't think I've ever felt that way before. There's always been some kind of external force or some kind of, I don't know, pressure about what I should be. Now it's just like, let's see. Yeah, that's amazing. And it goes back to kind of what you said about like, just not really having expectations and kind of Mm -hmm. enjoying it. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited to see how you do. (laughs) Actually, I'm really excited. Um, And so what inspired you to write your book, Running Well Black? You know, the inspiration for that was really my son, because my son was uh, nine months or so at the time of Ahmaud Arbery's murder. And Mm. I saw Ahmaud Arbery being murdered as a, you know, really a possibility for what could happen to my son. And that Mm. terrified me. It still scares me that, um, you know, that one day my son is going to be out there in the world and somebody will see him as a danger and, and could do something harmful to him. So I wanted to write this book to express those feelings and also express what I had seen in the running industry. It's a, it's, I love running. I love many parts of the community, but I had seen an industry that didn't really take our experiences as black people, um, you know, hadn't really paid attention to those experiences. And I wanted to make sure that there was a book out there that shared our truth. I love that so much. Um, Were there any times during the book that it was hard for you to write? Mm. Mm. Actually, the part, the chapter where I talk about my birth was really hard. That that chapter is called Life and Death. And I talk about, you know, giving birth to my son um, and then also thinking about Ahmaud Arbery. And just, re- mm. you know, we've recounted it here and it, it's felt comfortable because bo- we both had a struggle. But it's actually really painful to think about um, that my birth process and again, the expectations that I had and the fear that I had. So that was a really difficult chapter to write. And then just in general putting myself out there in such a vulnerable way mm-hmm. um, made me nervous. Like, what would people say when they read it? Would people um, believe me? Would people, um, you know, feel threatened by my book? Would white people feel threatened by my book and then want to discount it? So mm-hmm. thankfully, my book has been really well received and um, lots of folks have have really enjoyed reading it. But whenever you put yourself out there, it's uh, it can be a scary thing. For sure. Well, just talking about expectations, do you have any New Year's resolutions? <sighs> you know, I it's I never really call them or I don't call them resolutions anymore. But what I do do is January 30th or 31st every year I do a vision board. Mm. And um, vision boarding is something that really helps me put on paper like what I hope to manifest or see. Right. And for me, I, I actually, though, I feel... Like I'm in a really good place in my life and I actually am getting to do the things that I love to do. So (laughs) my resolutions, my vision for 2023 is really do more of the stuff that I'm doing. Right. I have. um, So with my book, I want to do more writing. I have a PBS show that focuses on um, black, indigenous and other people of color in the outdoors. I want to work with more people, uh, maybe on a national scale. I want to spend more time with my son and more time meaning more um, like focused time. Like now yeah, present, he's able, yeah. <laughs> exactly where I'm like, I'm, I'm physically there a lot yeah. of the time, but not mentally. <laughs> yeah. But now he's, you know, he's three and a half turning four and he's asking oh. questions and oh. really like, it's just, he's Such a actually cute a human. Age, yeah. yeah. He's like a human now. So I want to be more present with him. 
um, yeah, so I, I feel really, I'm in a really good place and it's just more about being more intentional about the things that I love. How do I make sure I'm present for them and enjoying them, including my husband, right? Like, how do I, um, I want to be more <laughs> oh, present him. for yeah. him. Yeah, by the way, that other person that lives in this house. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, amazing. Well, at the end of every single podcast, I always ask what your mom goal is for the week. So mm. what is your mom goal for the week? <sighs> my mom goal for this week, particularly because my son is home, there's no school, is to... So something that I hate that I do is, you know, when you're at like wit's end, I give him these like uh, choices that are not really choices, right? Like you got to stop that right now or you're, you won't get to do this, right? Yeah. And I hate it because it, it makes him even more upset because the choices are not good yeah. choices, right? So, you have no options here. Exactly. <laughs> Choose wisely. So yeah. my, my mom goal for this week is to have a bit more patience with him mm-hmm. and try to just be kinder. When I'm at my wit's end, don't give him impossible choices. Remind, remind myself that he is three years old <laughs> and uh, get through this week without tears. That's Aww. that's the hope. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. I'm not there yet, but I've been at my wit's end and I'm like trying to put one to bed and they're just not going to bed. I'm like, all right, now you have no choice. You're going in there. Like, bye. You know, like, and I'm just like, oh, it's not his fault or her fault, whatever. I know. Um, it's It's hard. It's hard. Okay, well, thank you so much. It was so amazing talking to you and learning about, uh, you know, your struggles. And, you know, I'm so excited for, for your races this year. I, I'm like you. legit. Can I like find out how, like how you're going, how you're doing? Do you yeah, like well, post you can, at all or like about I do, like I've, I just did this or I felt like this? Is there a way totally. I can kind of like check in? Yeah, I, I post on my Instagram and uh, Allison M as in Mary Desir on Instagram. And I'm going to be um, really intentional about posting about this because I think Please to your do. point, like I'm, I'm really excited for you, right? I'm going <laughs> to see what, what your experience is like. And right. I think sharing that is important so that, that m- women can see a whole range of what it takes. So right. I will absolutely be posting about it. Um, well, I'm excited. And I, you're inspiring me to post more about what it's like to relate to others and, and kind of help yeah. them. And that's something I'm passionate about. It's kind of why the podcast, I just want to be a resource for people to listen and hear. And whether you have the most beautiful pregnancy or you have the most terrible whatever mm-hmm. and everything in between. So thank you so much. You are awesome. And I'm excited for you. That was so awesome. Allison is such an inspiration. And I hope everyone listening will look at all of her resources and read her book. My mom goal for this week is to introduce solid foods to my babies. Thank you for joining. Talk to you next week. This has been Mom Goals with Allie Long. Please like, rate, and review. Mom Goals is a gallery media group production.